they really want you to know that we are going to give the word. And <clears throat> this morning, the word is going to come to you from Archie. Yes. Come on, Archie. And uh, he's a very wonderful um, guy. He's the side pastor of Inveruri. And so yeah. um, over to you, Archie. And an absolute legend as well. <laughs> Thank you, Frey. Well, it's uh, my pleasure to be here at the undisclosed location. My only concern is, do you get out of here once you've been? So <laughs> we'll see. You, this might be a hello and a goodbye. So, <laughs> But it is my joy and my pleasure to be here this morning. And it's also my privilege to close our wonderful study in the book of Jonah. So with that, we're going to kick right off and we're going to open our Bibles. So if you turn with me to Jonah, the book of Jonah in chapter 4. I'll give you a, a couple of just a few moments to look it up first of all and then we'll read it together let us read but to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry he prayed to the Lord isn't this what I said Lord when I was still at home that is why I tried to forestall this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Amen. <laughs> Just a quick recap. You may remember from chapter 3, Jonah has finally arrived in Nineveh, and he's pronounced the word of God, and the city has repented. But yet, here now in chapter 4, we are met with this admission Great confession, if you like. <laughs> the drama that finally brought Jonah to Nineveh is revealed. The reasons behind it are laid bare. It was his bitterness. It was his resentment. It was his nationalistic selfishness. His hatred towards the Ninevites is exposed for what it is. You know, Jonah isn't the man that we thought he was. Yeah, Jonah finally relented and he came to Nineveh. But his heart was consumed with bitterness and judgment was what he had in mind all along. And he thought that he could bring it forward by taking a holiday to Tarshish. 
And he also knew what God had in mind all along. And that's why he deliberately tried to thwart the plans of God. You know, Jonah's attempts to forestall the plans of God are comparable to the story of King Canute. The difference between Canute and uh, Jonah was that Canute knew that trying to hold back the sea (laughs) was a fool's errand. But he went through it to teach his royal dignitaries a lesson in humility and the inevitability of the purposes of God. I wonder if perhaps Canute had read the book of Jonah himself. And that's our, our first lesson this morning, that God's purposes are inevitable. And you should be encouraged by that. Especially when we're confronted by the the hidden and sometimes even unconscious dark aspects of our character, our nature, that we would much rather leave undisturbed, brushed over, or remain even blissfully unaware of. (laughs) But we have to remember that God is a God in the business of rescuing, renewing, and transforming lives. You know, when I, I look at Jonah, it reminds me of an old minister friend from years ago. And I remember uh, it was a, a Bible study, and he was, he was recollecting of when he first became a follower of Jesus. And he, and he confessed that when he first became a Christian, he was quite adamant that he had no intention of sharing his faith with his mum. <laughs> he didn't want her to become a Christian. <laughs> now, I remember still the gasps and the shock and the horror of those who were these parishioners. They went, oh, minister, that's awful. You You know, being a bit berated by them. It wasn't that he didn't love his mum, but it was out of pure selfishness. That might sound ridiculous and even offensive, but in his immaturity, he saw that this Christianity thing was his, not his (laughs) mum's. And so like some kind of petulant, pouting, selfish teen. (laughs) He was intent on keeping his faith as far away from his mum as possible. (laughs) But fortunately, he didn't stay like that. And here is the thing. Regardless of whatever resolution he might have made in his mind and his heart at that moment, he was now God's teen. (laughs) And just as the return of the tide was inevitable for Canute, so are the plans of God on your life and on your character. And I want that to encourage you this morning, particularly as we consider, as what I've titled this, The Measure of God in Man, in the closing chapters of this book. And towards the end of this preach, this sermon, I'm going to make an invitation for you to commit your life perhaps for the first time to God, or maybe even for a fourth or fifth day or sixtieth time this morning. You know, when we see Jonah in this chapter and we see and we hear the bile that's pouring out from him, it's actually a very sobering reminder of ourselves that we will all have moments in our life when we will respond as Jonah. You know, we will strop, we will sulk, we will even resist God. And undoubtedly, there will arise out of those hidden aspects of our character and nature that we pretend don't exist yet they have somehow crept or suddenly taken us by surprise and come to the surface. Even in me hearing me say that, that might even invoke a reaction in some of you. You're not alone. 
Remember Peter and his great boast of being the most loyal and devout follower of Jesus. Yet when the moment of testing came, he denied Jesus three times. Some of you, it may cause a, a, a sense of fear or anxiety and worry at the thought of letting God down. I can still remember when I first became a Christian, my constant prayer was, Lord, don't let me sin against you. <laughs> but yet I did, again and again. But wonderfully, the story doesn't end there. Remember what I said, the inevitability of God's purposes and his designs upon your life. For me, chapter 4 of Jonah is wonderfully summed up in a verse from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. It's where he says, it's where he writes, He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That's from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I want to invite everybody to say that with me right now, but this time, make it personal. So listen out for the rest of the crew as well. We're going to say this together. He who began a good work in me will see it to completion. <laughs> yes! You know, God always had designs on Nineveh, but never in the process did he take his eyes off Jonah. And neither has he ever forgotten you. You see, your rescue, your redemption, your renewal, your salvation is somehow intricately woven into the, the cosmic transformation that God is bringing about over the whole of creation. You never were, nor will you ever be a side project. You are part of the whole, and God wants to transform your life from whatever state it is in currently to something beyond your imagination. God has got great plans for you. Naturally, it does raise the question then in your mind, who or what was the, the, you know, what was the primary goal of this mission to Nineveh? Was it just about the glory of God? It's always about the glory of God. Was it about the repentance of the Ninevites? Yes, it was. <laughs> was it about Jonah's character? Yes, it was. Friends, it was all of them. <laughs> Such is the mystery and the majesty of God's providence. His purposes working themselves out despite what the odds might seem. Despite the circumstances, despite the, the, the pieces on the board, despite the, the fickle nature of our character and our nature, he will complete the work that he's begun in you. So take heart and be encouraged today. You know, the book of Jonah is kind of unconventional in some ways. It doesn't follow the predictable nature of a, of a narrative. You know, you often find in children's books, chapter four is often missed out. You know, this moral slump in Jonah's character is kind of like, oh, pushed to the side. Because in first glance, it seems like a really bad ending to what's been a great story. <laughs> but if we're prepared to read the story closely and follow it right to the end, it's not a disaster in any sense. In fact, it's a wonderful victory. Yeah. You know, Jonah has died one death and had been resurrected. But the truth is, in the Christian life, there are many uh, deaths to be died. <laughs> but there are also many resurrections as well that involve our nature and our character until the very final one, Jesus, when Jesus returns himself. You know, in this chapter, we see the pent-up rage, the, the frustration of Jonah finally born, being poured out. But yet, I believe that it is in this chapter, it's also finally exhausted. It's extinguished against the greater character 
and the outpouring of God's grace. You know, if we take a step back for a moment and just consider the whole, whole book of Jonah, it's almost like we have this wonderful microcosm of the, the biggest themes in Scripture. You know, we've got salvation, we've got repentance, we've got judgment, we've got forgiveness, we've got death, we've got resurrection, and we've got the character of God and the grace of God. But set against that backdrop of God's grace, we also have the truth of our own ugly, ugly nature at times. You know, if you still harbour any allusions to your own intrinsic goodness, let me ask you a question. Why do you love the Lord? Is it because he first loved you? Is it because despite knowing what you're really like, God still chooses to love you? Is it because he's been gracious to you? He has blessed you, rescued you, come through for you when you've stumbled into disaster. It may be all of these and even more, but you know, the, the one answer that I've never heard anyone say to me is because he loves them too. <laughs> and here is the rub that afflicts both Jonah and ourselves. It's this trait in our, in our human nature that we're so egocentric. We see it in babies and infants and toddlers. And, you know, and we pretend to ourselves that we grow out of it with age. We don't really. <laughs> we just get better at covering it up or even better still articulating our way around it and just finding ways to justify it and excuse it. You know, maybe that's why you've never heard a song about Jonah and the worm. <laughs> we all love to identify with Jonah and the whale because it invokes some kind of sympathy. But don't sing about the incident, about the worm. <laughs> That's just a little bit too near the bone. Chapter 4 is disconcerting in lots of ways. It really calls us to a, a close examination of our own hearts and the attitudes that we harbour towards other people sometimes. Especially those we, we don't like. Or maybe even just those who are different from us whether that be on a, a social level, a, a nationalistic, racial, or even just a difference of postcode. And for some of these traits to be brought to the light of day and to be challenged by God, you know, some of them is might actually prefer to stay in the belly of the fish <laughs> or even to die as Jonah bemoans. But Jonah never stayed in the belly of the fish. That wasn't God's plans for him. Neither is it God's plans for you either. In fact, God tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18, God's plan for you is to see the fullness, to see you conform, to become more and more like Christ. Let me read to you this verse from 2 Corinthians. It says, And we all contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord." who is the Spirit. And so through the entirety of this book, from beginning to end, God was always aware of what Jonah was really like. And he was going to, he was going to rescue Jonah from the stranglehold that this bitter root had upon his life. And God will do the same for you through the ongoing work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in you. And this is my last point. You know, God's grace is constant. It is by grace and through grace. 
that God's plan was to gently draw this root in Jonah to the surface so that he could challenge it and deal with it. And it would be through an expose of God's grace in his own life and in the lives of the very people that he harbors such hatred towards that he will see this man transformed. You know, when I think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it reminds me of this horrible tree <laughs> that we used to have in our back garden. It was, uh, it was beautiful to look at, but you could never get near it because it would prick you. It was one of these horrible spiky pine trees. And we had it cut down, which was great, and it was comfortable for a time until we decided that we were going to plant a, a, a shed on where the tree stump was. And that's where <laughs> the struggle came in. I remember wrestling with this tree root for months and months. I couldn't get out of the ground. I used every tool under the sun. I employed every person I could know to help me get rid of this thing. Till eventually we did uproot it and it was gone. And we were able to build a shed and life was comfortable again. But I was always conscious that these roots were always there. And yet it remained like that for some years until come this summer at lockdown. When everybody was doing something, we decided we were going to put steps down our back lawn in the back garden. And that's where I encountered these roots again. But strangely and wonderfully, <laughs> taking up these roots was strangely easy. And there was no issue with them whatsoever. And for me, that's an analogy of what God is doing in all our lives through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's an inward transformation that's happening slowly, sometimes quickly, in your very lives. Another verse from Scripture, just to underline this, it says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. It's wonderful. God is actively operating in you, the entirety of your whole being. He's doing something. He's changing. He's transforming you. And you know that we all have better roots under the surface of the, the persona, the person that we often portray to the wider world. And for all of us, there will be cases where those uh, unsavory parts of our character are carefully covered over. Some of them we're even unconscious of until something disturbs the soil of our lives and they suddenly come to the surface. But you know, it isn't a cause for God to reject you. It's a cause for God to come and rescue you. And here is where the grace of God takes center stage. That he would take a man like Jonah and use him despite the ugly aspects of his character. Yeah, God could have chosen anyone from Israel. He could have chosen a man or a woman with a more benevolent spirit towards Nineveh than Jonah, but he didn't. He chose Jonah, flaws and all, deliberately. You know, the harboured bitterness of Jonah, it really didn't stand a chance <laughs> against the grace of God at work in his life. The grace of God is beyond our comprehension. It's beyond the limits that we often establish in our own lives or regards to other people. Jonah was always in the crosshairs of God's grace as much as the people of Nineveh. He wanted to root out this prejudice, this resentment hidden in Jonah, first in the call, then in the application, and finally in the illustration of the plant. You know, all through this story, God has been challenging, molding, shaping Jonah from what he was into something else. 
till he finally addresses the question at the close of the chapter. But not before the penny drops. And Jonah is finally drawn to see the perversity of his bitterness, that he would place more value on a weed <laughs> than he would on 120,000 people. You know, it seems obvious to us, but often God needs to approach us from a particular angle to get the message through. And he's done it before. If you remember the story of King David and his great sin with Uriah and Bathsheba, God sent the prophet Nathan to him, but not with a, 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 an angry condemnation. He sent him with a story, with an illustration to reignite David's passion for God's glory, for God's righteousness. And when it was lit, that's when Nathan was able to turn David's gaze towards his own inward demons and messed up situations and the horror of his offences against God. Likewise, the kindness of God towards Jonah and the withdrawal of the relief that this plant brought it was a final wake-up call to Jonah and from his perverse thinking that he could somehow steer or control the measure of God's grace at work in the world. You know, we all wish that the, the greatest lessons could come from comfortable blessings. <laughs> but sometimes, in truth, it requires God to withdraw them to wake us up. I don't think they'll mind me saying this, but my children and I, by confession, really enjoy love, love lying on the sofa. <laughs> as comfortable as it is, to allow them to lie there indefinitely would be a detriment to them. Their bodies would rot and decay. <laughs> Remember, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and God is not content until he has seen the fullness of his Son revealed in your life. You know, the entirety of this book closes on a question. Yes, it's directed towards Jonah, but ultimately it's directed towards you and me. <laughs> you know, I'm confident that Jonah was rescued from his prejudices. It seems inevitable, whether he wrote it or whether he handed this recollection down, his self-deprecation is evident in the story. He has come to accept that God is indeed God and that his grace goes way beyond our imagination. It goes way beyond the meager limits that Jonah had placed on it. It goes way beyond the meager limitations that we place on God. And why am I so convinced? My confidence is not in the measure of Jonah, but it's in the measure of God's grace. Perhaps you've fallen or you've repeatedly fallen and you're beginning to lose heart, maybe you're weighed down by guilt or just a sense of frustration at your own shortcomings, I want to take this time now to offer an invitation. If you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe you, you've never been a follower of Jesus, to come and be a follower of Jesus today. Perhaps you've joined us for the first time this morning and uh, you have a sense that you're not all that you should be or that you want to be. God wants to bring a transformation to your life. It doesn't matter how far you think you've fallen. It doesn't matter what your past or your present is. God wants to transform your life. And remember what I said at the beginning, God is a God who 
his business is renewing, rescuing, and transforming lives. And his house is a pretty big house, and there's lots of room for more children. And he wants to redeem those who've got lost along the way. If you can identify with any of that this morning, then I would love to invite you to pray with me just now. And if you want to give your life over to following Jesus, there is a little button to press. And it's really to shout it from the rooftops and say, Lord, I'm here, I'm yours. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that your grace reaches further than the depths of my sin. Father, I'm not satisfied with my life. I know that I've drifted. I know that I'm not familiar with you, but with what awareness you've planted in me, I cry out to you and ask, forgive me and bring me into your kingdom. I want to be your child. I want to call you father. I want you to reign in my life and begin a work in me that you will bring to completion. In the name of Jesus. Amen.